Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Wissemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Esther George. Esther, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Esther, allow you... Uh, allow me to introduce you to the audience. You are an independent cybercrime and cybersecurity specialist, the lead cybercrime consultant uh, for a global prosecutor's e-crime network. Uh, you're a cybercrime expert with the Council of Europe, which you advise. Uh, you are former senior prosecutor of the Crown, have a couple of, uh, you could say, publications in this area, a number of awards, uh, including the Legal Excellence Award uh, to showcase your background, uh, a global speaker, which we'll talk about during the interview, and you own your own company, Cyber Global Center. And finally, you just launched a new initiative, the Cyber Global Community, which we'll also talk about. So a lot to talk about. Again, uh, Esther, welcome so much. Um, first of all, on a personal note, how did you end up uh, in the cybersecurity space? Was that uh, before or after you became a prosecutor? No, actually, it was after I became a prosecutor. And it wasn't intentional to actually end up in the cybersecurity space. If you had told me about computers when I first qualified, I would have said, boring, and moved on very quickly. But, um, and actually, as a prosecutor, I started specializing in youth and youth crime, mostly because um, in the youth crime, we dealt with young people under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And as a prosecutor, I was in the youth court and you were doing trials which were of very serious matters because of their age. They couldn't be sent to a higher court. They would stay usually in the youth court. And so you got better trial work. And I used to like doing trials and things like that. And so I wanted to be a youth specialist, which is what I was actually on the way to becoming and actually did train to be. Um, what happened along the way was that, um, I might be showing my age here, but there was this show called Babylon 5. I'm not sure whether, you, whether you're into sci-fi. Unfortunately, I was, yeah. and still I am a little bit. And it's like a soap opera in space. Now, I'm not into soap operas between you and me, but um, I was into Babylon 5. It was an American program. I was based in the UK. So we used to see it ages after it came out. And I had a friend of mine who, when I was studying law, he studied computer science. And so he was into computers. And I was telling him all about Babylon 5. And he said, why don't you just go into, and they weren't calling it the internet. It was more like a bulletin board. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he said, there'll be one online that has it. And I said, what are they? And they sat down and explained it to me. And he hooked me up on how to get on it. And that was it. I then became interested in computers, mostly through a sci-fi um, okay. program. Now, now, so far, interested in computers related to you as a private citizen. Um, to what extent have you been starting using computers and computer technology in your work as a prosecutor? Well, as a, what happened was that I was using it in a private capacity, and um, he he made the mistake of telling me that um, he helped me to build a computer and he said to me, oh, if you break it, don't worry, open it up, do whatever you like, I'll fix it for you. And unfortunately, curiosity, I kept on opening the back and going through it, messing it up. And I used to call him and say, come and fix it. And then after a while, he got fed up with me. 
and um, said, go on a computer course. So I learned how to build them, how to troubleshoot them and to do most things. And I was helping my friends with them. And then um, the year 2000 came about and he was telling me, why don't you come into business and start doing computers and forget law? And I thought my father is not going to be very pleased with me. So that's not a, that's not going to work. But I was into computers and I thought, how do I marry the two? And a friend of mine said, why don't you do cyber? Mm-hmm. Well, he, didn't say, he said, do computer crimes. And I said, are there any? Because yeah. I was doing youth crimes. And the youth's idea was that their idea of a computer crime was that they grab your laptop and hit you over the head with it kind of thing and run. So, you know, okay. there wasn't any real computer crimes. Yeah. And so I asked um, around and I was told that at headquarters, they were doing things in relation, the police were actually doing things in relation to computers. I was in a local office, so I thought to myself, I need to get to headquarters. And so what I then started doing was I started looking for adverts that went out for headquarters, you know, for for prosecutors to move to headquarters. I applied for one and got an interview and I told them what I was into. And I said the reason why I wanted to come to headquarters was because I was looking at these new things. And because I knew about computers, I build them, I do this, that and the other. So they were interested in bringing me to headquarters. And that's how I got to headquarters. Great. You you just uh, made a very interesting remark. The question is, are there any uh, computer crimes? Now, I'm talking about a couple of years ago, but that also suggests that I'm just assuming you have a relatively good understanding of what was happening at the time. You are one of those people who actually grew up with the emergence of cybercrime. Yeah. I mean, when I started, to be honest, and when I the, when I'm talking about what I was doing now, the reason why it never occurred to me about cybercrime was because nobody was ever doing it. Mm-hmm. So when my friend said, you know, marry the two of them, do computer crime, computers and crime, I thought, is there computers and crime? Yeah. And that's why I had to ask around and find out from my colleagues. And we're talking here, this was about 1999 to the year 2000. And what happened in the UK was that the police had been given a lot of money by the government. And because there was this online problem with um, what we're calling indecent images of children, child pornography online. And that's what really started it off, really. That's really what a lot of people were calling computer crime back then. Okay, so like the states in in that period uh, had the Consumer Decency Act uh, to prevent cyber, uh, you could say, uh, cybercrime or uh, child pornography. Yeah, things like that. Germany had something. So there there were very few countries that had something. But I must admit that because I was more into youth crime, I I wasn't aware of what was happening, to be honest. Okay. Uh, Could you take us along? uh, How did cybercrime evolve over those years? Yeah. What what happened was that, remember I said that around the year 2000, 2000, um, the government gave a lot of money to the police. What you had was that the police then were actually able to develop. They got training. They got everything. What wasn't happening was that nothing was being done for the prosecutors. Nothing was being done for the judges or anybody else. You were scaling up the police. So what happened in the beginning was that I think the prosecutors, you know, the people in charge probably thought, well, you know, they're prosecutors. On Monday, you send them in, they do a robbery. Tuesday, they do a murder. And on Wednesday, you know, send them in on Friday and tell them to go and prosecute a um, computer crime. 
but it wasn't like that. It was very involved because you needed to know some knowledge about what was happening and things like that. And then they realized that, okay, it's not going to work out like that. We're going to have to look about what are we going to do for the prosecutors? And that's when they gave money to the prosecutors. Okay. Um, what's your take on how well today, um, I'll say, do your peers, uh, former uh, prosecutors, how well are they now um, aware of what how big cybercrime is? Uh, and to stop it. Um, I think everybody's aware because I think you would have to be living under a stone or something True. to be yeah. aware of cybercrime, to be honest. It's in the papers every minute. Every kid's aware of what's happening online. And I think the problem that you've got is that everybody is too aware of cybercrime in the sense of the negativity of it and the fact of the message that's being given that the police, the prosecutors, nobody has a handle on it. And this is the message that if you read papers all around the world, you're given the impression that nobody has a handle on it. Okay, so what you're saying is actually that from uh, completely not understanding that there's something like cybercrime exists, uh, am I now hearing you say that today the way the media covers cybercrime, uh, it's going overboard? It's not as big as sometimes it's being suggested? I would say it. I think it is as I think. Let's be honest. If you look at the statistics, it is as big as being suggested. I think that sometimes the media undermines what's happening and maybe what the police and other people are doing, because I think a negative, the public have a very negative Im impact okay. of what. Could you uh, give me an, an example of what you mean by undermining? Okay, I think I think that um, one thing I will say is that when I look to the when you look at the statistics in 2019, very few, very few, let me say, first of all, very few countries actually have statistics on cybercrime. Mm -hmm. So I'll use the UK's one. In 2019, if you look at the statistics, it said that about 1% of cybercrimes are being reported on average. I mean, this is a rough figure. There's about 1% of cybercrimes being reported. So you've got a dark figure of cybercrime. Now, the dark figure of cybercrime from my understanding, is because a lot of times people do not think that if they report cybercrime, it's going to be dealt with. If they report cybercrime, the police or whoever's looking at it will be able to actually detect who it is, and nothing's going to come out of it. Now, part of the problem, I will say, is because it's not just an idea that they've got, it's that they've reported cybercrime and nothing has happened for some people. So that is the fact. But there have been positive cases, and maybe we need to, re, you know, um, highlight more the positivity of what's happening and encourage people to report. And I think that in the UK especially, I think that the expectations of the public have not been well managed mm -hmm. because, you know, and therefore, I think maybe that might be also part of the problem of why people do not report a lot of the cybercrime that's occurring. Okay, uh, so when you just said, okay, a couple of countries aren't even able to uh, provide uh, facts and figures on cybercrime, is that lack of reporting or is uh, it also maybe an unwillingness to report that? Well, I think um, most of it is due to the fact that they're not recording. Because um, if I report something to you, it yeah. only gets locked down on it if you yeah. record it. If they haven't got a report, I think the first basis is to go back to start, start one and say, 
Have you got a recording system? In a lot of countries, they might record murders and things like that. They're not recording cybercrimes. Okay. And by the way, uh, what is the definition of cybercrime in this case? Well, you see, that's an interesting one as well. So um, you've got the Council of Europe definition. I must admit, my definition of cybercrime would be, I would divide it into two. I would say there's cybercrime, which is a crime that has that is taking place where you need to have a computer or a mechanism like it doesn't have to be like okay in the uk when we def computer isn't defined but it would be like a mobile phone would be a computer uh, um ipad would be a computer all of that would be a computer so so you you would have to have a machine of some kind that has a data memory etc and that is able to um work with a mechanism and you need that whereas that would be i would say pure cybercrime because you need so like you wouldn't be able to hack if you didn't have a, a computer and you would hack from one computer to either a mobile phone or an ipad or something like that but i would also say that you have also cyber enabled crime mm -hmm. which is which could be something like remember we were talking about indecent images of children yes. So you do not need, okay, you might take the photograph, but it was it was a case of this was happening, you know, abuse of children and taking pictures of them was happening before laptops and everything were invented. But if you look at it now, it's moved into a new arena where it's a lot easier for them to share it among themselves. Um, before, let's say in the 40s or 50s, you would have pedophiles, but they would be hiding themselves away. They won't be making a social group on online mm -hmm. and going on the dark neck and also sharing their pictures, if you get around drifting. Yeah. So those are cyber-enabled crimes. They're crimes that would have assisted anyway. It's just that the cyber element has made them really take off and become worse. Okay, and to what extent is it significant to make a distinction between uh, cybercrime or cyber-enabled crime? I think that my, the reason why I would make a significant um, difference between the two is because of the elect, the kind of expertise you would need. Okay. So with cyber-enabled crime, I would say that every prosecutor dealing with cyber-enabled crime would need to know about electronic evidence. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't need to know the inner workings of a computer. They wouldn't need to know how they react one to another and things like that. So it's a level of knowledge you would need. Okay, and another question which I have in this discussion is to what extent, uh, to make that distinction again, uh, can you say in one case we need new legislation, in the other case we just have, we already have existing legislation, we just have another means uh, which um, somehow uh, enables that crime to take place or make it bigger or whatever? So I would say with things like hacking, yeah. okay, like, like the indecent images of children, even if you didn't have... I mean, I would say best practice would be or good practice would be to have a specific legislation. But even if you didn't, your old um, crimes of taking pictures of children of indecent images and things like that, you would be able to use them to prosecute. Yes. But if you think about things like hacking from one machine to another machine, if you do not have a new crime about that, that then you haven't got an offence. And... Um, I, I suppose one case that um, people always go back to is a very old case um, with which which came out in the year 2000 plus, I think it was 2000 and 
one or two or three, but it was uh, it was the thing called the love you or the love me um, virus that was going around. I'm not sure you're smiling. So you probably yep. knew about that yep. time when that virus came out. I mean, I always say, I don't see why anybody, just because I got an email saying, I love you from somebody I don't know, why am I going to click on it? Yeah. But million, millions of people did. It clogged up the whole system and, you know, caused millions of pounds worth of damage. But when they found out who it was, it was a young man in the Philippines. And I went to the Philippines and I did some training with the Council of Europe over there. And I was speaking to them about that. And, you know, they, were, they said that, you know, they didn't have an offence at that time. And all they could, they could um, charge him with was something like nuisance. Nuisance. I mean, I mean let's be honest, he was a nuisance because he, yeah. he slowed down everybody's machine. But that wasn't an offence that you were charging yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, and I can also anticipate that you have some kind of context like the butterfly effect. I mean, the act in itself of mm. to what he did in itself is very small, but so, as so many people uh, made use of it, that's something maybe a consequence you cannot oversee. Yeah. Uh, that, okay, uh, can you blame the person who started it all? Is that is that how a prosecutor minds, uh, minds work? Are you looking at the end result or are you looking at the initiative? I would look at both, to be honest, and then and then get to the end result because you, because with um, depending on the law, you need to have knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so, would he know that this this sending this out was going to cause this? Well, it was my understanding was that it was part of a master's um, theory, and it had no other the it was not like a dual use tool where it has some positive use. Yeah. The virus was only going to be a virus that was going to spread and cause and cause mayhem. He may not have realized that he would go out and cause so much mayhem, but it didn't that virus didn't ever have a positive effect to it, if you know what I mean. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't that it was, kind of it was never attempted to have a positive in, in, impact. It wasn't so, yeah. now um I mean, I'm fascinated uh, to hear you speak about a little bit of the history of cybercrime and making that also distinction between cyber-enabled crime. Uh, if you now look at today, what, in your mind, view, are the key threats in cybersecurity or cybercrime today, where individuals or companies need to be aware of? I mean, I mean, I think everybody has to go with ransomware. I mean, that one is that one has just taken off so much. Is mm -hmm. I mean, with ransomware, we've we've seen ransomware has been around. It wasn't like it, you know, you woke up one day, there was no ransomware and woke up another day and there was, but it's gone to a new, um, you know, if you were in school, you would say it graduated top of the class and it wasn't necessarily something you thought was going to get to the top of the class. Yeah. But I think that when, if I look at it, if I take myself aside and I look at it dispassionately, I must admit that you have to say, the organization and the working together yeah. and the business sense behind it. If it was a startup, it would be what people are calling a unicorn. Unfortunately, it's a negative stuff. It it's a negative unicorn, unicorn, yeah. It's just a negative new unicorn, yeah. it's not a positive one. But but and I think though, so, and I think to myself that maybe we need to um, re-engineer that and think about how what are they doing. That is very, very negative. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Yeah, saying yeah, I, I, I get you. I get you. Okay, both but, but I think we can learn from it. And one of yeah. the things that I would say we need to learn from is the fact of there's diverse people who never meet themselves, have nothing in common. And if they did meet themselves, probably wouldn't like themselves, yeah. but they can work as one unit. 
Okay, now when you say we need to learn something, who is we in this case? Who do you feel should know and educate themselves on the workings of this mm -hmm. negative unicorn? Well, I would say that um, you're looking at law enforcement, mm -hmm. you're looking at public um, personnel, but then I would, one other thing that I always say is that pub, there has to be public-private um, partnership. And um, we're seeing that a lot with um, the places like Interpol, Europol, working with companies, um, whether American companies, German companies, etc., to actually um, bring maybe the expertise that Interpol and Europol may not have, but technical expertise that maybe an antivirus company has mm. and bring it on board. And if we've been looking at some of the things that have been happening lately of these big cases that we're seeing, where Europol is saying we've disrupted 40... 40 people or we've arrested this one. If you look down the line and you look at what they're saying, they're working in partnership with others. It's never them on their own. They're working with other countries. They're working with the private sector. And that's how they're able to work together as a unit. And I think, and that's one thing that we're seeing that unfortunately the bad guys are also doing, the criminals are also doing, you know, and you can say that maybe in the, in the next five, maybe not as long as five, or the next, I mean, with chat, with um, that chat AI, maybe mm -hmm. not five years, but you can see AI on AI, you know, yeah. fighting yeah. it out online. The yes. negative AI with the good AI, both having it out online, and we'll all be sitting down watching. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit what uh, the AI uh, division of Unicree is doing, is using AI to actually uh, prevent uh, cybercrime. And and by the way, uh, when you look at cybercrime, is this a matter of trying to be cyber secure or cyber resilient? Can you stop it or can you uh, make it as small as possible? I think, I think to be honest, I wouldn't say it's either or. I would say it's both. Okay. What I look at is that if you look at crime in the real world, we haven't managed to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But what we have done in some places is that we've made it into a smaller corner where the crime might, um, you know, we've controlled it or we've tried to control it and move it into smaller parts where... Maybe there are some things that we would like them not to happen, but they're not happening all over the country. They're happening in small pots. And I think that um, it's not either or, it's probably both, that we're going to have to try and control it and move it into maybe, if you think about it, the dark net, which we've got now. I mean, unfortunately, it's so, it, it's so um, rampant at the moment that it's like playing a game which kids play which is called whack-a-mole you know when you hit yeah yeah hit the mole on the head yeah about three others pop up and that's yeah. what i'm seeing at the moment with the dark web is that you take down one site three others think oh business opportunity and they're there instead but then that's no reason not to keep on whacking the mole really you just have to continue doing that and you know maybe get smarter at making it harder for them to actually just come in and set up Okay, a, a couple of questions before I move on to a another topic I really want to uh, ask you about, uh, but that is um, when you look at crime, cybercrime, where we're talking about, uh, when it's on a national level, mm -hmm. you have a relatively, I'd say, straightforward way to some extent on a legal aspect, okay, we're going to prosecute somebody if something's done wrong, but um, the nature of uh, cyber is it, it also ha it doesn't know boundaries. How are we going to, um, you could say, prosecute uh, in an international context? And who should drive that? 
Well, I think that we've already been given a good example. Remember what I said about Interpol, Europol, yes. and the working with other countries? I think that's the way forward, is that... Um, and what I always say is that when we're talking about international, we have to go back to national, because mm -hmm. if 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 um, organizations are not working with themselves nationally, they're not going to work regionally, which I think is the next level up, because in the region, you usually have similar problems. Mm -hmm. And if you work together, you can actually, you know, get a handle on them. And then the third tier is international. And I think that what we're seeing is that we're seeing a lot of these joint international teams that, you know, like prosecution teams, um, investigative teams. And I think that has to be the way ahead. Now, a lot of countries will say, well, it depends on who you've got maybe a treaty yeah. with. Mm -hmm. I would say if you form an international team with your region, there's going to be somebody in your region that has a treaty with somebody yeah. else. Mm -hmm. And all you need to do is you make sure that that's the one that reaches out. And deals with all the, I mean, if you think about Europe, where we've got all of our GDPR rules, yeah. the, com the country that we're dealing with will have to um, sign up to our rules. But then they will be able to, if they're on a joint investigation with others, share some of the material with them. So it's not necessarily that you need to have, it would be better if you did have a treaty with everybody in the world. But if you don't, why not team up with the yeah. countries? So what you're saying is uh, it's a little bit more pragmatic approach. So when we, have, we do not have this global consensus, it's more like an organic approach to see who you're actually dealing with and see what that, you could say, how that can help. Uh, yeah, and have regional joint yeah. investigative teams. I mean, we're seeing it on the international arena and it's very, very successful. And for me, I think to myself, if it works, yeah, okay, why not move it down a level and have it on a regional level? But I would say move it down even lower and have it on a national level. Because one thing I've found out is that when you work in countries, um, different parts of the organizations do not speak to each other always. Okay. And you might know more about what's happening than another organization, but they all have different, some of them have different powers. And so if they could just work together on a team-like process with that joint investigative team idea, then that would help them as well. Okay, hey, I said that's a very good, I would say, pragmatic uh, suggestion how to move forward. Now, I'm going to move forward in a completely different, well, another topic, but I'm fascinated in, you could say, when preparing uh, our talk, that you recently were in Costa Rica, where you were promoting uh, the role of women in preventing and investigating and prosecuting cybercrime. Yeah. That seems so niche to me, that please correct me if I'm wrong. Is this niche? What is the role? Well, I wouldn't say it's niche. I mean, okay, I can see what you mean is that it only because uh, it's had so many women in it that obviously it pertains to women. Yeah. And you might get the idea that, okay, men do not have a role, but I would say men do have a role as enablers to mm -hmm. enable the women to be able to do this. So, so I'm not actually saying men do not, you know, you don't have a role here. Now, one step back, um, what led to the organization of an international conference in promoting the role of women? Um, I mean, I can, I don't want to assume it, but maybe you can explain me why uh, this uh, conference took place. Well, well, I mean, it was the Council of Europe that were yes. doing this, but yeah. I must admit that I am aware of some of the reasoning behind it as a woman in this space. 
to be honest, um, remember when I was talking about um, when I started off in this space, to be honest, I would go to meetings and I would be the only woman there, the only black person there normally. So I had two two minorities that I was carrying, yes. female and black. And, I, and, I've, and I've been to a lot of um, international meetings where same thing. I've been, I had been to countries where I've been teaching, where there might be another woman in the room, but she was maybe the secretary or something. And that's why she was there. Yeah. So, you know, now it's a lot better. It's getting a lot better. And one thing I did say to a friend of mine at this conference was that this is one of the first conferences I've been to where I've had to line up for the ladies. Good. Generally, well, not, not good, but I and I, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yes. I, mean, I what you mean. But, but as you said, it is yeah. good because yeah. that's the way it should be. That yes. it shouldn't be yeah. that there's so few of us that we all know okay. each other. Yeah. So but but can I make the assumption what you see also in business discussions, leadership discussion that uh, the minute you organize a more diverse and more inclusive team, you actually get better results. Is that the same thing? This conference is promoting i i think it is and i think that to be honest you women bring a different dynamic to yes. to the problem to be honest and my view has always been that whether it's male or female you need all the parties around the table yeah. and this isn't something that one person is going to be able to solve it it's going to be a teamwork approach yes and if you leave women out you're missing 50 50 of the yeah. dynamics so for me, it was a no-brainer that this was something that needed to be done and women needed to be given their voice and they needed to step up. Fully agree. Now, that brings me to the final topic I'd like to discuss with you, Esther. Your new initiative uh, recently launched, the Global Community Dedicated to Sharing Knowledge and Expertise on Cybercrime Prevention yeah. and Cybersecurity. Why was there a need to set that up? Um, I must admit that for me, I'd been working in this field for years, as you can see, <laughs> and as I said, and I wanted to think to myself that, okay, if um, there needs to be some changes, I've, I've watched online and I've been reading the press and about people losing money for really minor schemes that you think to yourself that, well, that was a, why did they do that? Why did they sign up for this? Mm -hmm. But they're leave, using their life savings. And then you're looking at the fact that a lot of times, um, the police, prosecutors, etc., are not always able to reclaim that money back for them if it's gone into um, digital, virtual money, etc. And so part of this that I'm looking at is that I thought to myself, what's the solution here? And, and I said, let me take a step back. What is the problem? The problem is, is that, number one, we're not all working together, mm -hmm. that none of us are going to be able to deal with this separately. It's going to have to be teamwork. And we need to now take a step back and say there has to be a strategy. And the strategy has to change. I mean, and this is from a prosecutor. Normally, when I was a prosecutor, back in the days when I was a prosecutor, if you said to me, what's the answer to the problem? Obviously, it's prosecution. But now I would say, no, it's prevention, it's prosecution, it's disruption. And it's like a three-legged stool that we need to make sure that we do properly because I've seen it done when it hasn't been done properly. And what you find out is that if you do not do the prosecution factor, what you're doing is that you're encouraging people to do more online um, crimes. If you do not, if you can prevent it, you're not going to have that big 
um, dark figure of crime. And if you do your disruption properly, the ones you cannot prosecute, you can actually stop them from getting the money and the money is what they want. And then, so that was the, that was the way I was thinking. And then I thought to myself, what's one way around this? And I thought to myself that one of the major problems I'm seeing is that there's lots of little, there's lots of like, I'm in the International Association of Prosecutors because I believe that they're doing really good work mm-hmm. and that's needed. And there's an association and network for judges. There's this one, that one. But I thought that we needed one place where law enforcement, um, government, public service officials could all, could all meet and discuss. Okay. And that, so that's your target audience. That's my target audience. Yes. And the idea is, is that I want us to be able to support each other, to encourage each other. And remember what I said about... Um, Digital evidence, everybody needs to know about that. And that's, okay, you might say customs, but also think about the educators. If they're going to teach the children in school about this, they need to know some of the things that they need to help them to prevent. So they need to, so you need your Ministry of Education, you need your Ministry of Interior, your Ministry of Communications. And in some countries, um, the responsibility for cybercrime is not necessarily with the prosecutors and the judges, but with other ministries. And so that's why I that's why I widened it and said public service as opposed to just law enforcement, because it's not always just law enforcement that needs this. Great. Hey, Esther, almost, uh, unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time. Maybe one last question to make a little bit more explicit, and that is on the topic on accountability in the digital age. Uh what we'd be talking about is cyber security, uh, cyber crime, um, cyber resilience. Um, one of the reasons uh, our institute uh, was founded at the institution of UNESCO is this growing gap between the very fast developing digital technology and the legal framework. As a prosecutor, what's your take? Is that gap getting smaller? Is it growing? Um, are you concerned or are you comfortable? I think that um, what I'm, I'm what I'm thinking about is that how can we improve to make sure that that gap doesn't grow? Because there is a gap. Obviously, I think we have to acknowledge that there's a gap. So what can we do about that? And I think that that the um, the community that I'm setting up is going to be part of that because part of that is accountability. And if you've given them the skills and the ability to actually do deal with cybercrime correctly then they can be held accountable for what they actually do with those skills that you give them. Good point. So I think think at the moment, we're not necessarily giving them the right um, instruments in which to use and the equipment, and then we're expecting them to be able to deal with it effectively. Okay, but so that's instruments, equipment, but maybe also just play knowledge, just making people aware, okay, this is something you have to take into consideration. Yeah. Okay, final question from my side. any role for uh, the Institute for Accountability in your new endeavor? Well, um, although it's for the public service, what I am doing is I'm inviting friends to actually join in who can contribute. And I think that for accountability, um, we all need to be held to account. So obviously we'll be inviting you to, to join and to maybe, because I'm going to have some online videos, et cetera, to help educate people and help spread the knowledge. So we'll be very pleased if you would take part. Hey, Esther, uh, you can hold us accountable to spread the news and information in our back uh, backyard. So 
uh, we'll be in contact. Hey, it was fascinating talking to you about a little bit of a history of cybercrime, what you've seen, uh, some good pragmatic examples, how uh, we should deal with it. And uh, so uh, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you very much for the invitation. Really enjoyed it.